Welcome to this episode of Sound Bites, a podcast series produced by the National Psoriasis Foundation, the nation's leading organization for individuals living with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. In each episode, someone who lives with psoriatic disease, a loved one, or an expert will share insights with you on living well. If you like what you hear today, please subscribe to our podcast and join us every month at SoundBites for more insights on understanding, managing, and thriving with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. My name is Courtney Pettit, and I'm here today to talk about managing flares and rapid relief with Dr. Mark Lebwall, the Waldman Professor and Chairman of the Kimberly and Eric J. Waldman Department of Dermatology at ICANN School of Medicine at Mount Sinai Health System. Dr. Lebwall is a past chairman of the Psoriasis Task Force of the American Academy of Dermatology, where he also served as past president. Dr. Lebwall is also chairman emeritus of the Medical Board of the National Psoriasis Foundation. His clinical research interests include skin cancer and inflammatory skin diseases such as psoriasis and atopic dermatitis. In fact, many of the systemic and topical therapies were investigated and developed in the Department of Dermatology at Mount Sinai. Welcome, Dr. Lebwall. It's an honor to have you here on Sound Bites today. So a lot of people call into our Patient Navigation Center asking what they can do to calm their psoriasis when it suddenly flares. So before we discuss treatment options, let's first step back and talk a little bit about flares. What symptoms are typical of a flare and what triggers such a response in psoriasis? You know, many people's psoriasis flares uh, when they're away from sunlight. So in the winter, we see patients coming in, and that's a gradual worsening of their psoriasis. Then there are people who get a strep throat, and suddenly they get a bad outbreak of psoriasis, and that's often guttate psoriasis, little dots all over the body. The other triggers of flares are the withdrawal of steroids. So a patient is getting prednisone for some condition, it might be poison ivy or polymyalgia rheumatica, and they lower the dose or they come off the dose, and suddenly their psoriasis explodes. And that is a very bad flare of psoriasis. And of course, the best way to avoid that is to never take a steroid uh, because we don't keep people on steroids long-term. And when you lower them, patients get bad flares of psoriasis. The other worse example is when you stop a steroid patients break out in pustular psoriasis, where literally their whole body can be covered in pus, uh, or erythrodermic psoriasis, where the whole body head to toe is covered by um, a red, dry, scaly skin. Both those latter two conditions, pustular and erythrodermic psoriasis, can be considered emergencies because you lose all of the protective functions that the skin offers your body when you fall into those states. So first of all, You know, prevention is avoiding a steroid. If you know you have to be on a steroid for something, uh, it is very wise to be on some psoriasis therapy to prevent that flare that has a good chance of occurring when you lower the steroid dose. And that can be any of the approved treatments for psoriasis, even acetretin, which is modestly effective, uh, but often will prevent a pustular flare, for example. Um, Uh, Or it can be any of the biologic therapies that are available for psoriasis. They are very effective at preventing that. So the symptoms of a flare vary depending on the kind of psoriasis. If it's pustular psoriasis, the lesions appear as pustules. If it's guttate psoriasis, the lesions appear as multiple small red scaly spots all over big parts of the body. If it's plaque psoriasis, these are larger uh, plaques, you know, m- multiple centimeters in diameter covering big parts of the body. And that, again, usually happens more slowly. It doesn't suddenly erupt overnight. Um, 
And uh, uh, last but not least, erythrodermic psoriasis, your whole skin becomes red and scaly. And so just to clarify, when you talked about steroids, it could be a steroid that you're on for something else such as asthma or breathing problems also. Correct. Yeah. And usually it's a systemic steroid. We don't get into that trouble often with uh, the withdrawal of topical steroids or if somebody ends up getting a joint injected with a steroid or the spine injected. uh, You know, those are not the triggers. The trigger are you take a pill by mouth or you get a steroid injection intramuscularly. Oh, okay. That's good differentiation. Thank you. So how quickly can a flare occur and how long will the psoriasis last usually? So it varies from patient to patient. There are very few patients, but they're the fortunate ones, who get a bad outbreak of psoriasis, and then it goes away completely and they're back to normal. Uh, That probably is most common with guttate psoriasis, and that optimistically would be approximately 10% of patients will literally have their psoriasis go away either by itself or with treatment. And conventionally, the most common treatment for guttate psoriasis over years has been uh, phototherapy, Um, and it goes away. And I actually have one patient who I still see for other reasons. She often brings family members to me, um, who I treated more than 25 years ago for a bad guttate psoriasis. Uh, We treated her with ultraviolet light treatments, and here it is more than 25 years later, she's never had another outbreak. Wow, that's amazing, and lucky for her. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that often follows a strep throat or other infections. And so the topic of this episode is rapid relief. So can you talk a little bit about what that is? Yeah, we've actually studied that a lot at Mount Sinai. So uh, we have published data that comes from the um, trials used to approve the various drugs that are now approved for psoriasis. And our, our goal was, what is the time point that it takes to achieve a 50% improvement in psoriasis severity scores. So PASI score is the psoriasis area and severity index. It's a number that is used to measure psoriasis severity. In all of these studies, they measure PASI scores. And our endpoint was how long did it take to get a 50% reduction? Uh, the fastest of the drugs were the ones that block IL-17. Brodalumab, for example, which the brand name is Salik, took 1.8 weeks to get a 50% improvement. Wow, that's quick. Yeah, very, very fast. The second, uh, almost as fast, ixacizumab or TALTS, was 1.9 weeks. Less than two weeks for those two drugs. Uh, also close behind them was Cosentix, secukinumab, and that was three weeks. And then, then come the drugs that historically we've used, uh, cyclosporin is relatively fast, but it's not as fast as the IL-17 blockers. Uh, methotrexate is slower. Acetretin is much slower. Older biologics like uh, adalimumab, Umera, or etanercept Embrel, or anywhere from, you know, four to eight weeks or, or more. Four to eight weeks, probably. Infliximab is a little faster. That's Remicade. Sertilizumab, Simzia, I don't have the data, but that tends to be a little bit faster. And then there's some very fast ones coming. There's one called Bimacizumab, which hopefully will be on the market in about a, a year and a half. That was very fast. Um, of the IL-23 blockers, these are drugs that are incredibly effective, and they last f- for long periods of time. They're given every two or three months. Uh, the ones currently available are uh, Illumia, which is Tildrakizumab, is given every three months. Qselkimab, which is Tremphia, is given every two months. Uh, Rizankizumab, or Skyrizi, is given every three months. They are slower uh, on average. They don't work as fast. 
as the IL-17 blockers that I've already mentioned. Of those, I think that uh, I don't have the exact time point, but it looks like Sky Rizzi, Rizankizumab, um, has a pretty good response by four weeks. So I think that it's a reasonably fast response, but not as fast as the IL-17s, I think. Uh, but we don't have that data because it's fairly new. Ustekinumab or Stellara blocks different cytokines, and again, a very effective drug, but it's slower. It's not as fast as the IL-17 blockers. We already talked a little bit about the most common treatments. So what happens if the flare becomes painful or if the lesions start oozing? What can be done for that? So, you know, the lesions that are very painful and oozing and give you trouble, and we have patients like that, are I consider those very severe. And that's where we try to give patients the strongest drugs we have. Again, in those scenarios, we have the IL-17s work quickly, the um, IL-23s, are slower but give very durable benefits and they don't require a lot of injections. So those are the drugs I turn to in that scenario. Um, Often those patients want a quick response. So if I'm going to use an IL-23, and there are various reasons why you'd pick one over another, I might start the patient on cyclosporin, which works quickly, and then transition to one of the drugs that is not given that often. I've done that several times. Some, in some of those patients who have such angry psoriasis, even those superb drugs that we have don't work well enough, and then I often end up resorting to combination therapy. So we might use, for example, methotrexate or a premolast together with the drug to keep that patient uh, clear. Are there topicals that are used often for rapid relief also? Many, many of those patients are on topical therapy at the same time. Steroids or? Topical steroids. They're combination products now with uh, tazarotene and with calcipotrine that are also very effective. So uh, we've talked a, a little bit about cyclosporine, um, and for a long time it's been a go-to for rapid relief. Uh, why is this, and is it considered safe to use? So cyclosporine is a drug that is safe if you know how to use it and how to monitor for side effects. I would not put it in a category of a blanketly safe drug. You know, the biologic therapies we have are very targeted. They block tiny parts of the immune system, so we don't get into a lot of trouble with them. With cyclosporine, you can easily get into a lot of trouble. Uh, First of all, it damages the kidney, so you need kidney tests and blood pressure tests very often while you're on it, and it does raise the blood pressure. It also is associated with a lot of opportunistic infections and even cancers. In fact, if you look at uh, kidney transplant patients who've been on cyclosporine to prevent transplant rejection, and they're on it for 20 years or more, if you look at the end of 20 years, there's a study from Queensland, Australia recently, where the frequency of skin cancers was 50% in patients who'd been on it for 20 years. Um, The other associations with it are lymphomas are clearly increased with cyclosporine. Now, you know, some of our biologic therapies have a warning on them about malignancy or infection, Um, but the black box warnings actually are only on the older drugs, the TNF blockers. The new drugs that block IL-17 and IL-23 don't have black box warnings because they are so targeted, they block so little of the immune system that we don't get into those problems uh, that we had with the older biologics. 
Yeah, that's an important point to to know because we get calls all the time, and that's sure. p- people's biggest fear. And uh, on the skin cancer side, it's non melanoma, correct? So what's known about most is squamous cell carcinoma, which is a non melanoma skin cancer and is easy to cure. Lymphoma is not quite as easy to cure. Uh, what is less known is that the frequency of uh, malignant melanoma, which is a, a deadly disease, is increased as well by a lot of the immunosuppressive therapies, but certainly not by the most recent biologic the IL-17 and IL-23 blockers. So switching gears here a little bit, we get a lot of calls about itch, which is one of the most common symptoms that we hear about. What's the quickest way to control itch? So anything that treats psoriasis will indeed control itch. And there are a few papers that have looked at uh, products that control itch quickly. The ones that come to mind, Apremolast, which is uh, Otesla, is a pill. One of the first things you notice is is that the itch goes away fairly quickly. Of the topical therapies, the ones that looked at the itch most quickly are um, uh, Instalar is this foam that is a combination of calcipotrine and beta methadone dipropionate. And it's probably the steroid in it that rapidly gives itch relief. So uh, topical corticosteroids are quite effective at uh, controlling itch. But anything that gets rid of psoriasis will get rid of itch as well. And, uh, and I would just emphasize that. The itch of psoriasis, if you ask doctors... They, and there are studies that did this. They asked doctors, is itch a, a serious symptom of psoriasis? And their answer was, most of the time, was no, it's not. And that's because we are used to dealing with itch in patients with bad atopic dermatitis, what people call eczema. Those patients itch miserably. And so in our minds, psoriasis doesn't itch. But when you ask patients, for patients, itch is an important symptom. Uh, and being able to control itch is, is very important. I know. I get on my husband all the time. He'll just be scratching and scratching. <laughs> right, right. A, a little trick, by the way, is over-the-counter menthol products. There's several over-the-counter products, ca- products that have menthol. Do provide temporary rapid itch relief. So instead of scratching, put that on and it calms the skin down without damaging the skin. Oh, that's a really handy tip. One other question on cyclosporine. Is, is there a certain period of time that someone can stay on cyclosporine? Uh, so in the original guidelines, which I wrote, if you biopsy patients who've been on cyclosporine for two years, 100% have evidence of kidney damage. Um, so the original guidelines say that you shouldn't be on it for more than a year. Um, so how long do you keep a patient on rapid relief medications before switching to maintenance therapy? When we start patients on biologics, our, and patients will ask me this, and they'll say, you know, how long do I have to take this for? Psoriasis is in your genes. So, and, and it's an uncommon patient, at best one out of 10, who has it spontaneously go away. So because of that, you know, what I say to patients is unless we are going to change your parents, it's going to come back. Uh, we're not changing your genes. We're just treating the condition. Having said that, the new therapies that we have uh, are quite safe uh, and quite effective. Unfortunately, they're quite expensive, um, but they offer terrific remissions. When you stop them and then restart them, for many of them, a proportion of patients stop responding to them. Uh, and, you know, the dilemma there is, you know, we've had a drug that works great for this awful condition. And are you then going to stop it and take a chance that there might be a one out of eight or one out of nine chance that it's not going to work for you again? And so that's one reason not to stop. There are a couple of other reasons as well. We're thinking about the skin, but what about the other uh, organs that are affected by psoriasis? 
we know from the TNF blockers and registries that inflammation of psoriasis is associated with a dramatic increase in heart attacks. And if you treat the psoriasis using some of our older drugs, TNF blockers, what they've shown is that the death rate is reduced almost in half. Now, everybody dies, but the chance of dying in the next five or 10 years is cut in half if you're on a TNF blocker. Wow. And it does look like the new IL-17 blockers, at least at very early initial data, looks like they're going to do the same and maybe even better. I think that you know treating psoriasis is more than just treating the skin. Certainly, we're treating the patients psychologically because all of the bad psychological things that happen when you have a visible disease are gone. Um, uh, but we're also protecting the patient's hearts and we're protecting their joints from getting psoriatic arthritis. I encourage patients to stay on therapy. And the only exception to that is if I have a patient with a new onset guttate psoriasis who we might clear and it might not come back for decades, in those patients, I may try to take them off their therapy after they've cleared just to see what happens. Uh, And often we get lucky there. Is it possible to avoid triggers and as a result avoid flaring psoriasis? You know, every patient with psoriasis should try to avoid obvious triggers. The most obvious one is systemic steroids. There are actually a list of medications that are known to make psoriasis worse. Steroids, the withdrawal of steroids, is the worst of those. And we, we do try to avoid it. And to give you an example, uh, if I have a patient with poison ivy who has psoriasis, uh, I'd be much more likely to treat them with cyclosporin for their poison ivy, which is not a known treatment, but it works, than I would be to give them the usual systemic steroids that we use for poison ivy. So again, steroids should be avoided. There are certain drugs that are triggers in some patients, anti-malarial drugs. There are many choices for anti-malarials, and the old traditional anti-malarials cause severe flares in up to a third of patients who had psoriasis. So we actually never use those. We use alternatives. Lithium, a drug used for psychiatric indications, and sometimes you cannot get away without using lithium. But when you can and you can safely use alternatives, it is preferable to use the alternatives. There are other drugs where the association is not quite as bad. It's been said that non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs flare psoriasis. If they do, it's not much. I don't usually withhold those from patients. There are certain blood pressure medicines like beta blockers that in isolated patients will cause flares, but in most patients, they don't have much of a negative effect. Uh, The other one are angiotensin converting enzyme inhibitors, ACE inhibitors. Uh, Those are the drugs that end in pril, like captopril or enalapril. Um, And they basically make every skin condition worse. And it's not an allergy. The way they work is they increase redness and the other uh, effects of psoriasis. So I try to encourage patients to go to medicines that are called ARBs, angiotensin receptor blockers. They work the same way but they don't have the same side effect on the skin. I tell patients when I switch them, though, that it doesn't have a big effect. It's a minor effect. And what about uh, with stress or diet? Do those things contribute to flares? So stress is bad for everyone, but try to avoid it. (laughs) Not easy. In terms of diet, there's actually just in a publication recently on anti-inflammatory diets where they took foods that allegedly suppress inflammation compared to foods that don't. It was no difference. It did not impact psoriasis at all. Every time anyone has looked at diet, it did not have an impact. 
Having said that, we know that weight loss is good for psoriasis. And actually, weight loss has been shown very clearly to uh, improve the response to psoriasis therapies. So we do encourage our patients to lose weight, uh, particularly if they're overweight to start with. But there is no particular food that's been associated with the worsening of uh, psoriasis. There are some studies that look at gluten-free diets for psoriasis. And again, on average, they do not show any benefit. It is possible that there are certain patients who have celiac disease, which is associated with the skin condition dermatitis herpetiformis. And that's an itchy condition that often involves the elbows, just like psoriasis. And I suppose could be confused with psoriasis, particularly if patients might have both. And certainly that condition responds very well to gluten-free diets, but there's no evidence that psoriasis responds well to gluten-free diets. So are there any at-home treatments that could augment the treatment you prescribe for rapid relief? So there are home phototherapy units, and they are definitely helpful. There are actually a number of treatments in development now that incorporate localized phototherapy to the skin in clothing garments. Uh, and uh, I, I'm not sure if they're out yet, but they basically they incorporate LED devices to, to turn on ultra, um, essentially narrowband UVB, ultraviolet light, to treat the psoriasis, and you wear it. So I think that that's there in the future. There are certainly creams and ointments that are helpful, and certainly moisturizing the skin is helpful. You know, psoriasis skin is dry, and it scales and uh, cracks, and using a moisturizer helps that. There are over-the-counter shampoos that contain salicylic acid or tar or zinc, uh, which have been shown to help uh, psoriasis of the scalp. And I would, I would say, um, yeah, there, yes, there are things that can help somewhat. When psoriasis is mild, they may even be enough. Uh, sunlight also, by the way, I should never overlook. Sunlight is very effective for psoriasis. But having said that, if psoriasis is severe, those usually are not enough. And those of us that live in the Pacific Northwest don't get to see a lot of that sun. <laughs> what final recommendations would you have regarding rapid relief? I will say we have superb treatments now. I think one of the um, disservices that patients have from a lot of the television advertising that goes on with the new drugs that are out, uh, and even from their dermatologists who might not be psoriasis experts, because the ones who are psoriasis experts are very good at this. There's a misperception that the new treatments that we have carry the same risks as the, as the old ones because they end up lumping all biologics together. So you hear on television, oh, there's a risk of infection and malignancy. Look at the ad you see that for because you're not seeing that with the ad for any of the new drugs because they don't have that warning. Um, you know, there are people born without IL-17, which we've spoken about uh, several of the drugs we now use. The people born without IL-17 get yeast infections. They don't get more cancers. They don't get more bad side effects. They just get yeast infections, which are very easy to treat. The people who are born with the deficiency of IL-12 and 23 uh, which is the way Eustachinumab Stellara works, get salmonella infections, which have never been seen, to the best of my knowledge, in a patient on Stellara. And they get a kind of infection called mycobacterial infections, which usually occurs 
in patients in the rest of the world get a mycobacterial vaccine called BCG. We don't use it in the U.S. Uh, and it causes an infection in those patients. Um, so TB is a mycobacterial infection. And so we check for TB once a year, but pretty much that's all we're worried about. And so you can actually, with an annual test, make sure the patient's not going to get in trouble. The IL-23 blockers that are new block the same thing that Stellara does, only less. So we should actually not have any difficulty with any of the new drugs. Um, but they start hearing the ads for the TNF blockers, and those drugs are associated with an increased risk of infection and malignancy. And I, I would just tell our listeners don't let that scare you because look at the particular drug that's being advertised. They are all different one from the other, and there are some that are quite safe. I think it's been a disservice to the world that we have drugs that can make you normal or almost normal, and we aren't using it in a lot of patients who need them. You've heard it here, folks. Trust an expert over a commercial. <laughs> If your psoriasis is flaring and you're not sure where to turn, contact the Foundation's Patient Navigation Center to learn more about treatment options, resources, and request a flare guide to help bring your psoriasis or psoriatic arthritis back in control. Contact the Patient Navigation Center by calling 1-800-723-9166, option 1, or by emailing education at psoriasis.org. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Sound Bites for people with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. If you or someone you love has ever struggled with psoriatic disease, our hope is that through this series, you'll gain information to help you lead a healthier life and inspire you to look to the future. Please join us in a couple weeks for another inspiring podcast. You can find this or all future episodes of Sound Bites on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and the National Psoriasis Foundation webpage. To learn more about this topic or others, please visit psoriasis.org or contact us with your questions or comments by email at podcast at psoriasis.org.